You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the weekend edition of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Here's Weston Nakamura to break down everything you need to know. Hey, everyone. Weston Nakamura from the Bank of Japan. <laughs> from the Bank of Japan. Hi, everyone. Weston Nakamura from Real Vision in Tokyo and definitely not from the Bank of Japan. Um, good start. So first and foremost, uh, I just want to sincerely thank everyone who watched um, my video on my first video on the Bank of Japan um, that I put out about a week ago. I have received more responses from that than any other video that I put out um, by far. And it really seems to have helped a lot of people, um, you know, at least understand the significant role that the Bank of Japan has been playing in global financial markets. So in terms of that goal and mission, um, I'm glad that I was able to be of help. Now, that was actually not the original first Bank of Japan video that I had made. What you're about to see is the first Bank of Japan video that I made uh, originally. And that was uh, recorded on the January monetary policy meeting day. And the reason I made that video was because BOJ tried to pull a little trick. And so that's what this video that you're about to see is. But I realized after I made it and I was watching it that probably need to give some background context um, as to you know what BOJ has been essentially doing. So that's why I made the previous video that you saw. So if you haven't seen the previous video, uh, it's called Why Global Markets Are Addicted to the Bank of Japan. The link is in the description to this video. And I would suggest that you stop watching this video right now and you go watch that one. Because if you don't um, and you just keep watching this one, you'll be pretty lost, I would think. For those of you who have watched the first one, uh, it might kind of sound like I'm about to say some redundant things. Um, because it's kind of the first time I'm presenting things, but I assure you that I went through and I kind of pulled out a lot of like the redundant sort of things that were discussed in the last video. Okay, so hope you enjoy. I just want to discuss the Bank of Japan, uh, which is often kind of just overlooked or brushed aside, um, and it most certainly should not be. It is a major global central bank with the ability to move global markets cross asset. Um, and I also want to discuss this sort of, uh, I guess this is, if you want to call it a dirty little trick that they do, um, that would kind of give you a potential heads up, um, or at least, you know, a way to read the air, uh, prior to a potential, you know, uh, policy change, um, from Bank of Japan. Because if they do a policy change in any sort of way, it will be significant, uh, given the size of their influence. So first of all, Bank of Japan, they held their January policy meeting. Uh, no change in policy. Yield curve control remains in place. Policy rate set at minus uh, 0.1%. 10-year GGB yield pinned at around zero. This is not a surprise. BOJ policy hasn't undergone any major change since yield curve control was adopted in September of 2016. What makes this particular BOJ meeting in focus um, was the speculation that the BOJ might start discussing uh, an eventual rate hike. And if they did this talking and thinking of rate hikes, 
that would be massively significant because BOJ has uh, never alluded to removing um, or tightening of policy. Um, really, since since they first dropped rates to zero back around 2000, um, became the first major central bank to implement you know QE. Some can say they invented QE well ahead of the Fed or the ECB. So any sort of, you know, removal or talk of removal policy would be huge. Now, let me also remind you, again, about the significance of the Bank of Japan's policy. Not too long ago, everybody was arguing about the Fed and yield curve control and whether or not that would happen and when and how and so on. Well, yield curve control for all intents and purposes, it already exists in unofficial practice in the U.S. Because... BOJ's yield curve control is indirect U.S. yield curve control. Japan being deflationary cash hoarders, they're sitting on trillions, and they are in need of yield. When BOJ caps 10-year JGB yields at 0%, Japan looks for yield overseas, and they buy U.S. treasuries, amongst many other instruments. But they buy treasuries, thereby putting a cap on Treasury yields, and hence BOJ's yield curve control is unofficial U.S. yield curve control, almost like it's exported. Uh, this is in part why Japan is the largest foreign creditor to the United States. This is also in part how the U.S. can have a sixth handle on CPI and simultaneously have Treasury yields at like one and a half percent. This U.S. Treasury market is a global. Um, market. It's prices do not revolve solely around matters of U.S. inflation or the Fed. There are other massive forces at play, like Bank of Japan's policy. Um, and if U.S. Treasuries are the global benchmark for the risk-free rate, then the Bank of Japan has enormous indirect influence over all global risk assets. That's why BOJ matters. Um, and just because they don't make a policy change or make like a splash. That doesn't mean BOJ is to be forgotten, because absent BOJ's yield curve control going on in the background, you would either be seeing far higher global yields or far more dovish global central bank policy. BOJ's yield curve control is like an unspoken but very glaringly present and obvious and intrusive force that um, that allows for the FOMC to be uh, as hawkish or as, as not dovish as they're currently positioning themselves to be in the first place. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's just take a look at what happened with BOJ um, and this January policy meeting and sort of the lead up to it. And I don't mean the policy, no change or anything like that. I don't mean that itself. I'm talking about the sort of inside baseball mechanics that happened um, with Bank of Japan. So, why did traders, like, suddenly start chattering about this, you know, ultimately not delivered hawk talk from BOJ for the January policy uh, meeting in the first place? 
Um, and it's not just like chatter, it's actual market impact. Like the five-year JGB yield spiked, uh, it basically doubled in the span of two to three days. Um, yes, global yields have been rising, but JGB fives, which is the duration maturity that straddles that, you know, the middle of the both ends of BLJ's yield curve control, um, you know, that rise in the five-year JGB, that rise was far more aggressive on a rate of change basis than its sort of DM counterparts. So why was this happening? So the media and traders basically started talking about BOJ hiking rates because of this article that was published by Reuters that came out on um, Friday, January 14th, after Japan market closed. Um, and it was like this exclusive article that was citing, you know, insiders from the Bank of Japan or like, you know, people close to the matter or with knowledge of the matter, right? And not just one unnamed source or one or two anonymous insiders, but the article was citing five unnamed sources of individuals spouting material non-public information. I mean, well, that's five individuals betraying their institution and like leaking from within. That's a lot. That reminds me of like, it kind of reminds me of the, the Trump White House and the media leak days. Um, and so what did these BOJ traders say? Traders as in not buyers and sellers of securities, but the betraying kind of traders. So let's see. Okay, so they said, the BOJ never committed to keeping rates on hold until inflation exceeds 2%, a source familiar with BOJ's thinking said, a view echoed by two more sources. That means, theoretically, it can raise rates before inflation is sustainably above the target. Um, the Fed's steady rate hike plan, a weak yen, and growing public discontent over rising living costs are prodding the BOJ to be bolder in brainstorming a future exit plan, sources said. Uh, for the first time in a while, there's not just downside, but upside risk to price outlook, a second source said. Uh, the BOJ needs to pay close attention to what other central banks are doing, a third source said, pointing to an increasing number of overseas counterparts eyeing rate hikes. Um, the BOJ promises to increase the pace of money printing until inflation stably exceeds 2%, but... It has made no promise on how long it will keep its rate targets at current levels. It's clearly intentional, said a fourth source. Uh, while there's no consensus within BOJ, ideas include abandoning negative rates, widening the implicit band under which it allows the 10-year yields to move around its 0% target, um, or targeting shorter duration bond yields, the sources said. Um, and finally, uh, that could mean the task of raising rates would be left to the next BOJ governor. Quote, if consumers become more accommodating to price hikes, that could allow for the BOJ to debate raising rates, a fifth source said. Uh, but negotiating with the government won't be easy um, and will take time given the huge uh, public debt. Okay, so you have these, you know, five anonymous sources from, you know, I guess within the Bank of Japan it's like spouting all this stuff to Reuters like one business day ahead of this policy meeting. And what happened at the policy meeting? Approximately none of it happened. None. Let's see. So the article says uh, the central bank's nine member board is split between those who 
see scope to scale back stimulus, and those cautious of taking any step that could be interpreted as policy tightening, the sources said. So these sources say that the BOJ's nine-member board is split between hawks and doves. The actual vote itself that came out, the vote was split eight to one, as it always is. All right, so like this notion of like a split board, that implies something more akin to like a five to four split, but not the usual and ongoing and like always, you know, nearly unanimous eight to one with a one, you know, perpetual lone dissenter that that's always there. So what the hell was this exclusive Reuters article all about? This completely dead wrong article, right? Like either Reuters got it completely wrong or these highly unreliable five inside sources got it completely wrong. But look, Reuters is a real and, you know, internationally accredited outlet. It's not someone's random BOJ blog. And then these five so-called sources, what what's their motivation for doing this? Like this type of quiet period press leak, like within one business day of the start of a two-day policy meeting. Like, not only would this get them fired, but they're, they're spouting out complete falsehoods that go against the actual BOJ policy um, and messaging, and that can, that can and has impacted markets. So what's their motivation, right? Is this like BOJ staff members' version of the Great Resignation? So here's another possible explanation for what's going on from me. Okay, this is something that I've been on to for the past several years as a certified BOJ stalker and market participant uh, in Japan. So this so-called leak, um, this was directly from the Bank of Japan, perhaps from C Governor Kuroda himself. So you know how central banks run like stress tests? Well, this is what I call a press test, okay? Okay, so before I explain what a press test is and how BOJ uses um, uses them, let me just kind of quickly just do a you know gloss over of um, the historic steps of you know the BOJ um, in, in its sort of recent past and policy um, and how we got to where we are today because it's very relevant um, in order to understand uh, why they do what they do. So basically. If you look at Governor Kuroda's tenure, like from the start, took the helm in 2013, um, in which he was tasked to carry out Arrow 1 of Abenomics, aggressive monetary policy. BOJ, not only were they just taking, you know, massively bold and unconventional measures, but how they executed, how they announced it was like uh, about shock and awe policy. Basically, catch markets off guard for maximum impact. And it worked. So... After Abe appointed Kuroda, but before his like actual first policy meeting, right? So between that period of time, the markets had already priced in like a significant easing program um, about to come um, in late 2013. You know, dollar yen moved from like mid 70s to above 90, 30% move in like one quarter, huge. But huge as that anticipation move was, markets didn't price in enough because. At Kuroda's first 
uh, meeting as the you know governor of Bank of Japan, he basically kicked it off with his signature shock and awe with you know a new hyper aggressive policy of QQE, which was far more bold than what had been expected and priced in. And the next like two days after that very first meeting in April of 2013, the Nikkei rallies like 10 or 12 percent, dollar yen rallies like six percent, JGB yields cut in half. And then in a month's time, the Nikkei index is up 30% in a month. Dollar yen breaks through 100 um, and all that. Uh, then in 2014, um, one sort of very memorable um, sleepy BOJ meeting day. This is when I was on the futures desk at Goldman Tokyo. Um, it was Halloween that day. And so BOJ wasn't expected to do anything. And then suddenly, like, bam. They announced another massive, massive, like, easing bazooka. Um, they are now targeting monetary base to, you know, uh, expansion to target, like, 80 trillion yen. Um, and they tripled the amount of ETFs that they're going to be buying. And the Nikkei rallies, like, 5% in, like, one or two hours. And then that momentum carries over for several months into 2015. Um the Nikkei rallies another like 40, 45% from that moment. And then dollar yen moves from like 100 to 125. This is what, you know, shock and all policy uh, does. It gets you maximum bang for your buck or your yen. Um, and it's because, you know, Kuroda really understood like the dynamics of market momentum. Um, and, and then, you know, shock and all policy also became kind of Kuroda's reputation after that. And so then what happened was like every policy meeting became this like kind of wild card, like what will he do next sort of expectations. And that thereby diminished the shock and awe capabilities themselves. Now fast forward to January, 2016. Kuroda is at Davos. He's getting interviewed um, like a week before the January BOJ policy meeting. And he's asked if BOJ would implement negative interest rates. And he says very clearly, no. No negative interest rates in Japan. A week later, BOJ announces negative interest rates in Japan. So, shock and awe again, but this time instead of just, you know, kind of breaking the serene silence with like a firing off of cannon, um, this time he has to proactively go the other way and just point blank lie and say, no, we're not going to do what it is that we're about to do. Um, however, January 2016, when they cut rates to negative, that did not work out favorably for Bank of Japan. Um, basically, the upside rally, the the initial algo rally, that had no follow through. And that lasted for, I don't know, like an hour or two instead of weeks or months, like the, the prior ones. Um, and it was just basically made very clear that very day that negative interest rates was a major policy mistake. They knew within hours. Um, and fr from that point in January 2016, over the, the next, the following six months, you know, Japan equities, Topix banks just get crushed. Uh, dollar yen gives back all its gains from that Halloween surprise boost. And so that was like a major lesson that Kuroda, that changed Kuroda's sort of method of this like shock and awe policy. And it completely changed like the way he does things. And now it's the, the exact opposite approach. 
and method um, that he adopted and that remains in place to this very day. And then in September 2016, yield curve control was unveiled, pitting the 10-year JGB yield at around 0%. And since then, the policy hasn't been touched for over half a decade. Through globally coordinated policy support and then through dispersion of current policy accommodation removal, BOJ stays maintaining yield curve control with negative rate um, at the front end and keeping the 10-year yield pinned at around zero. And the longer that BOJ policy remains unchanged, the more of a big deal it would be for like any hint of any change in, in any direction from the BOJ. So Bank of Japan has basically painted themselves on a corner by like repeating time and again uh, uh, you know, about how this, this easing policy will remain until, or rather even after the 2% inflation target is reached, um, which by the way, has never come close to, to being reached, this 2% inflation target, even in this current global inflationary period. You know, this is a global phenomenon, ex-Japan. But um, Bank Japan very badly wants to raise rates. Or not, not necessarily raise rates, but they they want to undo that negative rate policy mistake. They've wanted to since like two hours after they, they announced it. And they've been living with it this entire time since. And again, Kuroda, he learned his lesson in January of 2016. It's like no more like surprising the markets. Or rather, no more markets surprising the BOJ with an opposite reaction than what the BOJ had hoped and expected for as per January of 2016. So what to do? So this is where my aforementioned press tests come in. So instead of implementing policy change like officially, right? And like, you know, just doing something and, and hoping, you know, praying that it, it works um, because you can't take back policy once it's done. You know, like you can't do, you can't undo it five minutes later. Um, and without even making any sort of statement, because markets are hypersensitive to jawboning central bankers, especially Kuroda, the BOJ, what they do is they use these press tests, as I call them. Basically, if Bank of Japan wants to make a policy change or hint at a policy change or make a statement about a future potential policy change, they get the press to put the idea out there. And then they monitor the market reaction. And if the reaction is unfavorable and like causes like um, volatility and all that, then they could always come out later and say like that was that, that was not us. That was some fake news nonsense. That's not true. It's not happening. And they can just get markets to snap back in line to where it was pre you know the throwing that idea out there. Um, now this is not a common thing that they do. In fact, it's very seldom that they do it, but they nonetheless do it. And they just did it, this January 2022 policy uh, meeting. And this is why I'm seizing the opportunity to point this out to people so that you're aware of it and so that you could kind of spot it in the future um, if and when they do it again. Um, now, let me use an example of when they did this back in July of 2018, which was once again via Reuters, who published another exclusive article with unnamed sources close to the matter, um, you know, about BOJ talking about, like, tapering. So this uh, this article um, from in July 2018, right, talking about tapering uh, from within the BOJ, this was released on a Friday, like, night in Japan. Like, it was, it was midnight. It was, like, I guess technically Saturday morning in Japan time. Either way, like, the domestic local market was not p paying attention, let alone awake. 
but it was midday um, market hours um, on Friday in, in U.S. market hours. So this was released purposefully and tactfully to uh, isolate and observe the foreign market reaction absent the domestic, you know, reaction mixed in with, like, the noise. And, of course, uh, this was done also at that hour so as to not disturb the actual JGB cash market, which was closed for the day and not trading anymore. So I remember this, like, like it was yesterday. So basically, Reuters drops this BOJ will taper piece. The JGB futures market, which was still open for trading, just got absolutely crushed one-directionally on massive, massive volume. Just a huge, huge sell-off. JGB futures are, like, massive notional contracts as they are. Like, each futures contract is 100 million yen notional per contract. So we're talking maybe 50, 80, maybe even 100 billion USD notional in volume that blasted the JGB futures market, like, at the, the moment that that article dropped. Um, and in doing so, obviously, that thereby moved global bond markets down from this one article. And then, Kuroda spends that weekend trying to discredit the article as some rogue piece that simply isn't true, and so on and so forth. But on Monday morning at Japan market open, JGBs, which for months until that moment, we're just kind of muddling along on dead volume because that's what happens when a central bank buys up 500 trillion yen worth of outstanding issuance. The JGB cash market saw yields immediately shoot up to the upper bound of BOJ's yield curve control level. That upper bound is where the Bank of Japan would have to intervene, step in, and offer to buy an unlimited amount of JGBs in order to keep yields from pushing even higher. That's how yield curve control works. It's also known as a fixed-rate operation. So, yields reach and then break that upper bound. BOJ steps in, conducts a fixed-rate operation to buy unlimited JGBs, which is what should be an impenetrable wall of buying, right? Print yen, buy JGBs, market can throw whatever it's got at it, and theoretically, it would be stopped by an unlimited printing press. But it didn't. Yield just kept moving higher. It took the BOJ three fixed-rate operations, three separate fixed-rate ops, and then eventually they just widened out the implicit ban for yield curve control. All from one stupid Reuters article. It's saying, like, the, this is what BOJ is... Like, BOJ is going to start tapering, and then BOJ is saying, like, no, it's not true. But all, all for, from that one article. But it was a good thing that it was just a one stupid Reuters article or just a press test and not an actual policy um, or an official announcement that came out of Kuroda's mouth. And that's exactly the reason for them doing it. This is what a Reuters article did to markets. Imagine it, like, if it was an actual policy statement or even just kind of a hint, um, a slip of the tongue from, uh, you know, Governor Kuroda. What would happen to markets then? Um, and again, this isn't just a JGB matter. This moved global sovereign yields. This is global markets, even. Like, cross-asset. Ten-year U.S. Treasury yields moved from, like, you know, it's like under 2.8% to breaking through 3% that day on the JGB-led move. So, after basically causing all this unnecessary, like, havoc, don't you think that, like, Reuters 
would be held accountable for spending untold billions of yen to correct their editorial nonsense? Like, why were they not, right? Well, because it wasn't Reuters, it was BOJ testing the waters via Reuters. So that's what happened back in July of 2018. And that's also what happened once again, heading into this January 2022 monetary policy meeting. That's what this very incorrect, exclusive Reuters article about BOJ hiking rates that dropped on Friday. That's what that was all about. So BOJ sees like a window of opportunity to potentially like hike rates or, or to remove the negative policy rate by riding off of the, you know, global inflationary wave and the global central banks that are all lifting rates. You know, if BOJ can kind of just sneak themselves in with the rest of everyone else, still with relatively low rates, but able to move up, you know, upwards in tandem with everybody else, maybe they can get away with it. But before they dare go anywhere near something that looks like policy tightening or accommodation removal, the Bank of Japan needs to conduct a press test. And so they just conducted one. Now, when I say that global inflation is happening everywhere except for Japan, that's true at the CPI level, but it doesn't mean that Japan is immune from inflation. CPI may be flat at around 0%, but PPI, producer price inflation for Japan, has risen um, the 10 consecutive months leading up to current. Um, PPI is sitting at 9% right now. Um, and it's mainly due to like rising commodity prices, for which Japan is not exempt from. Meaning, if PPI is at 9%, but CPI is flat at like zero, it means that producers can't or aren't passing on rising costs uh, onto the consumers, and therefore they're taking the hit in, on their margin. Furthermore, CPI in Japan has been held back um, or sort of suppressed by like low like mobile phone fees. Um, I, I know that sounds kind of random, but first of all, um, that does impact CPI. And second of all, this is a policy like remnant of the previous prime minister, Suga. It was the guy that, you know, came in after Prime Minister Abe stepped down due to a health issue. And Suga then left office within a year but in between, at which time he hosted the Tokyo 2020 Olympics in 2021 for all of the downside and none of the upside, is basically the substitute teacher of, like, Japan prime ministers. That guy's policy of low mobile phone fees, um, which had capped CPI, that rolls off this summer. Okay, so that's going to be inflationary, or it's going to have an inflationary reading that should have already showed up had it not been for that. Add to that current Prime Minister Kishida's fiscal stimulus and current push to get the private sector to, like, further increase wages. He's, like, really pushing on that hard right now. Um, and Japan inflation is, is coming, which is a good thing. It's what Japan had wanted since the bubble burst, like, three decades ago. So BOJ, like, adjusting policy or, like, wanting to is not about, like, combating Japan inflation, but it's just about undoing, like, you know, a policy mistake from negative interest rates. Um, and hopefully to do so, like, in a, in a veiled way. Um, and maybe even perhaps to, like, reload some ammo because BOJ is 
been running at max accommodation, having bought half of the JGB market outstanding. So because inflation is coming, this is also in part why BOJ needed to start like testing the waters at least to see where the market is should BOJ join the rest of the world in policy tightening. Like where you know would it freak the markets out? Would it blow everything up? What what would come of it? Um, should BOJ also join the the tightening policy party? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Okay, so BOJ does a press test via Reuters going into this um, meeting. Regardless of what they see, they want to undo what the article had done. They want, so once again, Kuroda is trying to discredit the, the contents of the article. And he basically spends like the entirety of his press conference um doing just that because he's being asked about it again and again um throughout the the entire like press conference like he so he says um we are not debating an interest rate hike as shown in the report we are not in a situation where inflation is steadily accelerating towards the boj goal under such conditions we are absolutely not thinking about raising rates or modifying our easy monetary policy uh we are not in a condition to debate (laughs) an exit uh, policy normalization with inflation still remaining around 1%. So you get the idea, but clearly, um, you know, wh- like what the hell was the point of that Reuters article? Like clearly that's not the case and Kuroda to spend all this time winding back what that that article had just erroneously claimed. Like why the hell was that printed in the first place? Because it wasn't a Reuters article that was from the Bank of Japan testing the waters and then just undoing the test. Um, and this, like, general concept, by the way, this is not really, like, specific to, this is, like, everybody does, does this. This is guidance, right? Guidance is everything when it comes to monetary policy. Like, take the Fed and Fed funds, right? Like, the level of the Fed, where the Fed funds rate is, it's in and of itself, or ECB policy rates, or whatever they are, that level itself doesn't really matter. Like, what matters is where they are relative to market expectations and what's being priced in, right? So, like, let's say, like, you know, currently market kicks off the year with, say, four rate hikes priced in, risk assets are tipping over currently, and then let's say that the Fed only delivers two rate hikes for the year. Then markets may do, like, this sort of risk-on-recovery rally because of a so-called dovish Fed, despite the fact that the Fed had actually lifted off of zero and hiked rates, right? So, like, expectation management is the name of the game, right? That's the job. It's not the mechanical setting of appropriate policy rates. Now, as for market price action and, and you know, any impact, um, yes, there was impact, global market impact um, from the BOJ policy announcement and the sort of unwind um, and the talking back of the article that Kuroda had done. But uh, all of this is happening against the backdrop of two-year U.S. Treasury yields breaking the key like psychological 1% level. 
And in combination with uh, tenured German yields are reaching zero uh, percent. So both of those, in and of themselves, are major psychological levels. Let alone, you know, both combined. So it's very difficult to actually discern um, the direct market impact from this particular episode. But you know, don't therefore gloss over or let that gloss over um, the significance. Um, and the the amount of impact potential that the Bank of Japan carries in its back pocket. If Kuroda had actually said what that Reuters article said they were going to say, if he did that, you know, global sovereign bond yields would explode upwards. It would be m- more impactful than the Fed actually hiking rates. Because that part, everyone knows and is braced for and is long priced in. Um, the BOJ hiking rates for the first time since 2000, that is not something that the world is accustomed to, ready for, or even considered. Now, regarding this like press test theory, can all this just be my wacky imagination run wild? Of course it can be. Right? Like, I'm far from a normal, sane person, if you haven't noticed by now. Um, you know, maybe this is just another one of my crazy conspiracy theories. But, it's not like uh, I'm I, I'm going out looking to create some crazy conspiracy theory out of thin air. It's the exact opposite. Like, I set out to look for reason and explanations. And I'll talk to clients about this. For And for those who were like, you know... Um, and there weren't many, but for those who were like, who either disagree or like, you know, kind of not take my uh, side into serious consideration, consideration, um, I would ask them like, so what the hell was the point? Why, why was that massive market moving article? Like that was totally ended up being totally wrong. What the hell was that all about then? And they would just say like, that's, you know, they, they put out an article. It, got wrong. it was wrong to me. Reuters putting out like nonsense is that's unreasonable because Reuters is a reasonable publication. So for them to suddenly go rogue in editorial accuracy for no reason at all. And and that there are five anonymous folks close to the Bank of Japan or inside the Bank of Japan who for, for no personal gain and, and are risking a lot in order to offer up this like info to the press. Info that's completely wrong, by the way. That, to me, is what's, like, nutty and nonsense and insane. Not my particular theory. My particular theory was me trying to kind of connect the dots. And that's more or less what I came up with. And also, for that matter, just this very general principle of, like, reporting on the outcome of a vote, of a board vote that hasn't even taken place yet, that alone should raise eyebrows because that's what initially got me suspicious in the first place, like years back. Like if there's like a nine member board vote that hasn't taken place yet. And then like the results of that have been leaked or put it, if there's a presidential election coming up, say in early November, and then shortly before that, right in October, say the New York times publishes an exclusive article with the vote results that were leaked 
I mean, as a reader, what would be more reasonable for you to accept that reporting or to, for you to say like, okay, well, considering it's not possible to leak the outcomes of something that has yet to take place. And therefore this is clearly just bullshit. Like which makes more sense. Right. So whenever I see like this, um, sort of sources close to the matter, unnamed sources close to the bank of Japan, um, are debating this ahead of the meeting in which they are to debate that, let alone vote on it. It's essentially the equivalent of somebody leaking the results of a presidential election vote results that have yet to take place. So look, I may very well be chasing Bigfoot, but as someone who has been very carefully watching and directly trading the Bank of Japan, and has basically been stalking Governor Kuroda such that, you know, a restraining order could be warranted. Um, I just wanted to share what's going on, my thoughts and all that, because just because, like, nothing happened on the surface of, like, this BOJ policy meeting, um, and there's, like, sort of calm and quiet, it doesn't mean that there wasn't a bomb that was about to go off with the wire cut at the last second. Like, just because it's quiet doesn't mean that, like, things aren't happening. Um, the Bank of Japan matters. The Bank of Japan uh, will absolutely make another major global cross-asset market moving event at some point. Um, and BOJ is currently trying to not shock markets anymore. And so these are things that you can kind of use to keep in mind to read the climate prior to a potential major central bank triggering cross-asset market moving events. You don't have to get caught completely off guard um, if you can sort of read what the BOJ is doing and how they're doing it. Um, follow me on Twitter at Across the Spread because that's where I would make comments commentary on um, developments. Um, so now that like this has been established and this video is out there, now I can I don't have to explain this whole thing. I could just say like, here comes that Reuters anonymous article, like heads up sort of thing, right? Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that, and uh, I hope that you could at least see why I made that second video first, or why I put that second video out first rather than this. Um, it's kind of funny in retrospect to even like hear me talk about like, oh, follow me on Twitter. I might make like comments on the Big of Japan because I subsequently made like a thread about the BOJ's just sort of general policy framework, which then turned into that last video. Uh, obviously, at the time, this was not that long ago, too. This was like a, just a month ago that I made this. Between then and now. I obviously didn't know at the time that they were going to do another fixed rate operation that they were going to announce in advance. Um, and, and to this day, BOJ has been, is still trying to fight off that like article. It's, it's like, this is exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like how, how ridiculously, you know, off the mark, was this exclusive article? You know, they're talking about how they're going to tighten up policy accommodation and this and that. And th th they've done a fixed rate operation since then. They've done nothing but the same, you know, aggressive easing monetary policy. Um, so this is 
exactly like what I'm talking about, how things are playing out, right? So just keep an eye on not just the Bank of Japan, but the coverage around the Bank of Japan and sort of the behavior. And just watch Governor Kuroda these days, just fiercely defending his policy. Um, and not saying a word either, a bad word about like uh, the press, just kind of putting out completely random sort of way off the mark um, articles and all that. And those anonymous sources who leaked all this info, like, yeah, good, good job, anonymous sources. Um, it's a real, it's a real good source to have. So um, I will be putting out one more video, probably one more video, probably not one more video, but there will be another video follow up because I want to discuss the end game of what I believe in terms of this never ending print yen and buy stuff policy. Um, and kind of my framework that I've been basically holding for the last several years, really tweaking here and there, but generally my core framework around what my thinking of is with the Bank of Japan. Because like I said, they cannot like reverse course on this policy. You cannot start selling JGBs that you own more than half the market of the, for a market that you've destroyed. Um, and Japan with a 250% debt to GDP is not going to pay you back on your principal. Your, your, Japan is going to default on its debt. There's no way to pay that back. Population is declining. Debt is growing. Debt burden is growing. There is no way for Japan to pay back its principal on its debt. But yet still, somehow, uh, Japan gets to borrow cheaper 40 years out than the risk-free United States government can for you know 52 weeks out. Makes a lot of sense, right? But my point is that at some point, this all of this has to come to some sort of conclusion. This is an ongoing open trade that the BOJ has. Like this is not like a closed trade. This is still very much open and running. And at some point, that position will have to close. And when that happens, it's not just going to happen quietly and unnoticed in markets. It's going to be some sort of meteor that strikes financial markets around the world in every asset class. So when, how, all that stuff, that's up for debate, but that's all for the next video. But for now, this is you know not only just a way to keep an eye on the BOJ, but keep an eye on other investors um, and what their kind of stance is. Because foreign and domestic, right? Because so many people are, are, are completely like thrown off by the BOJ because kind of understandably because they've just been lied to and tricked so many times. Um, but you can exploit that, right? You can exploit those sort of things. Like people who thought that the BOJ was going to you know, abandon yield curve control policy and start hiking rates in the January monetary policy meeting because of this like article, you could trade against that, right? Uh, there's an understanding ARB that is fully uh, exploitable. Um, and, you know, in the video, uh, when I'm talking about that example from 2018, you know, when I'm talking to like hedge fund clients, because I was on a hedge fund sales role, you know, on the trading floor, you know, like there, there are institutional investors out there who are who just ha have no clue what to make of the Bank of Japan if they're even thinking about them at all. Um, so this is a, a, a really tradable central bank uh, when they try to trick markets um, or when they're trying to do something, right? So there are sort of trades that you can make um, in the meantime, 
but there will be some sort of massive market moving event uh, that will originate with the Bank of Japan um, at some point because the trade has closed at some point. All right. So thanks again, everyone. And again, just follow me on Twitter at Across the Spread um, to just keep up to date. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.